Our Old Testament reading is from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to chapter 4, verses 24, which is on page 179 in the Bibles we provide. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, not, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from its tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set up from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. 
When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded them. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So jo Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal, on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did the did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of our Lord. Our New Testament reading is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, which is on page 1007 in the Bibles we provide. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you so much, Lola. You ever wonder why we bother to read so much of scripture? It's the only thing that God promises to accomplish its purposes. Preaching as good as it might be, worship as great as it is, 
the only thing that is promised. God says that my word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose that I've set out for it. So we always want to make sure that we are majoring on the reading of God's word. So thank y'all for being patient as we read a lot this morning. Sermon passage continues um, where we were in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. The sermon's actually on all three chapters, but this is what I got to give myself to read. So you'll find on page 180 in the Bibles that we provide. Soon as all the kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who are by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. There was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. That time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeah Heroth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who had come out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, for they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, we pray that you would take this, your word, you would massage it deeply into our hearts, open our ears and our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit. We might not just understand it, and know it that we might be people who live it, that this would be who we are in every day of our life. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you were here last week, you know that we've started a new series on the books of Joshua and Judges from now until Advent. Um, The quick reason why, if you weren't here, uh, we realized how important biblical literacy is, how important it is for us as God's people to truly know and understand God's word. And we have not had a single sermon on either Joshua or Judges over the last 15 years. And this is an important part of the story of God's redemption. And so what we long for is for us to fully grasp and understand. We won't fully understand Jesus's sacrifice for us on the cross if we don't understand all that it took to get there. And Joshua and Judges being two important biblical books, historical books that'll help us see that in a new way. Um, As you know, context matters. Context is important. I went on a long context last time. I'm going to give you the shortened version today just to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham. He promised him a land. There will be a land that your generations after you will have. And what he said to them at that time is, here's how this is going to happen. You're going to go and your people will be sojourners in a land that's not their own. And while they're there, they'll become servants and slaves and they'll be oppressed but in the fourth generation that they will come out when the sin of the Amorites is complete and then they will go into the promised land. So that promise was taken by Abraham and given and passed down time and time and time again, given with the covenant of circumcision and this understanding that as God's people, this would be their right someday. 
And so they longed for that day. They longed for the hope of that when they were found themselves in Egypt, just as God had prophesied and told. And they were slaves, just as it had been said. And then they were being oppressed, just as God had said. And then they were set free as Moses came and freed the people, but not just freed them from a temporary moment, but protected them and helped them, saved them as they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. This amazing miracle of faith that they had. And what did they do with that? They took that amazing miracle and they disobeyed over and over again, sinned against the Lord. And yet God continued to show them love and faithfulness to the point that they finally get to the banks of the Jordan River. They're looking out into this promised land that God has given to them. And what happens? They send out 12 spies, 10 come back and say, there's no way. We have no chance. We have no hope. We will die in this land. Let us go back to Egypt. At least there, there was food in abundance. And two spies said, no, we can trust the Lord. The Lord wouldn't take us this far and abandon us now. He will give us victory over the peoples. And the people, unfortunately, were swayed by the 10 spies. And they say, we're not going. And God, as it were, gives them the desires of their heart. They didn't want to go to the promised land, and so they will not. And they will wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation, minus the two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua, pass away. And then they make Joshua the new leader. That's what God does. And he brings these people again, taking care of them all along the way. And now we see them standing one more time at the banks of the Jordan River, looking out into the promised land with a new opportunity and a new hope. And they stand excited with eager expectation of what God is going to do. Last week, we looked at these two different characters and showing their faith. Joshua, this guy who grew up in the church and knew it all and how hard it was to follow Moses and obey the Lord. Then we found Rahab, the polar opposite, this Amorite prostitute who God called to faith, who revealed himself to her and went and saved her and protected her and made her part of the family. And those individual stories of faith is an encouragement to us. But today we're gonna look at what does a people of faith look like? What does it look like as a whole collection and group of them? How should Israel look? Which means how should we look? How should we live as Christians in 2019 in Knoxville, Tennessee? What should be the hallmarks of how we live this faith that we say that we have in Jesus Christ? And with that, there are basically five things. There's probably more, but we're just gonna do five because we don't have time for more than that. This is what they did. You see this even against the disobedient people. They look for his presence. They follow his leading. They remember his works. They obey his commands. They worship his name. That's what they do. That's what we are to be about as God's people in the midst of this. Let's unpack this. Let's get an idea of what we're talking about here. The first thing they do is they look for his presence. As God is going forth, in these two chapters, two of the three chapters we're looking at, the Ark of the Covenant was mentioned 20 times. And this ark, I'm gonna show you a picture of it so you have an idea. Okay, disclaimer number one, this is not the actual ark of the covenant. If you're wondering if I found it in my backyard, I did not. This is also, disclaimer number two, the ark in Raiders of the Lost Ark is also not the actual ark of the covenant. If you were getting excited about it, I'm just sorry on the front end. What the ark of the covenant was, was something God prescribed for his people, four foot by two foot by two foot box, that was gonna go with them. And it showed a full picture of who he was. 
Let me explain how. One, it was completely covered in pure gold. Not alloy of any kind, pure gold, which showed his holiness, his perfection. And if you recall later on in the Old Testament in Samuel, um, one of the, at one point, the, the cart that is carrying the ark like hits a wheel and it stumbles and a person goes to touch it. And when he touches the Ark of the Covenant, he immediately dies. There's a holiness, there's a reverence to this because it's God's presence with them. But not only that, it also has his justice with it because inside are the tablets of the stone of the law. Not the first tablets that Moses broke, but the second tablets written by the finger of God are in there. So to be reminded of the law all the time as it walks by, it's the law. It's the testimony of God's goodness. It's how you have a relationship with God prescribed for us. But it's not just about his justice. It's not just about his holiness. It's about his grace. Because the top in between the cherubim there, it's called the mercy seat. And one day a year on the day of atonement, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the ark was, and took the blood of the sacrifice and poured it over the top of the mercy seat. So the blood came in between the law and the people. The blood came in between the holiness and the people. A clear picture to what Christ would do for you and for me. Even then, this big word, kids, I apologize. It's called substitutionary atonement. The fancy way to say is that something died for someone else. These innocent animals who did nothing at all, their blood was shed so all of Israel could be forgiven when the blood was poured. The blood covered the sin of Israel as it were. But this had to be repeated. The sacrifices over and over and even this sacrifice every year when what Christ has done for us was once and for all. We are covered in his blood that protects us from the holiness and the justice of who God is but they had this to look at. This was the presence. This was the, what was the living God. This was Yahweh, your God. They looked to this for God's presence and God's power. For you and for I, we don't have this to look towards, but we have so much else. We can find God's presence in his word. He promises himself into it if we read it. We spend time with it. We can see God. He says he inhabits the praises of his people. When we gather this morning and we worship him, God is in our midst. We can see and experience and feel that. God is in each other, the Holy Spirit that fills us. We can see so much of who God is and how we are with other people and even in his creation. But are we looking for him? I gotta confess, even working at a church, I don't spend a lot of time looking for God on a daily basis. I spend a lot of time looking for other things. I spend a lot of time working on other things. I don't spend a lot of time listening for that still small whisper of God in my life. I want to, I'm like Elijah. I'm expecting the earthquake or the, the fire, but I miss the still small voice of God speaking to me. We can see his presence. Are we looking for his presence? Because we're supposed to be a people of his presence. But not only do they see his presence, not only do they seek and look for his presence, these were also a people that had to understand and had to follow his commands. Not just know his commands, but follow him, follow his leading as he led them. Because what's happening, think about this, nothing has changed in 40 years. 
There are still enemies on the other side of that river who still have fortified cities, who still have chariots, who still have armies. Nothing's changed. So what's different? Why would this group be willing to take a step in faith? Because we see it because what happens immediately? It says the next day, the spies come, the next day they pull up all of their stuff to go with them. They weren't going back to the other. They were leaving nothing behind. They packed up everything they owned to go to the river, to go through the river, to go to the promised land. It's like the picture we all know in the, in the new world of Cortez when they got to the new world and people started to clamor and long to go back to home. What's he do? He burnt the ships. It's like, we're not going home. This is home. They took up everything they had in great faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God is what Hebrews told us. And faith is believing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. They take up all their stuff and they walk to the edge of the river in faith, believing, trusting. But the problem that stood before them was the river. I've got some pictures of it just so you can understand. Because I think if we're thinking this is like the Tennessee River down near Nayland Stadium, it's like, that would be a problem. This is what it was like. This was flood stage. That's what the Bible tells us. It could be as much as a half mile to a mile wide of overflowing water. So they get to the point where they're standing there looking over it, thinking, what do we do? You don't swim in that. I wouldn't swim in that. I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but don't do that. Don't swim in it. They don't have enough time to build boats. They can't ford the river. If you ever played Oregon Trail when you were a kid, you know, you can't ford it. That's not what's gonna happen here. They have this standing between them and the promise. And can you imagine being the priest? If I was one of the four priests, I am back right. I'm not the first one in. I'm gonna be back and if this guy gets in, I'm okay. It's okay, good. Yep, you got room, you got room. He said, the priests are gonna go into the water. And when the priests go in, the water will stop. And that's exactly what happens. Do you know what we want from God? You know what I want from God? I want God to stop the river first. You stop the river, I'll go wherever you want me to, God. I'll take that step. If you've got the river dry, I am there. But how often does God say, no, no, you need to take that step of faith first. It was not until the priests put their toes in the water that the water stopped. It took that step, that leap of faith that they trusted and believed that God exists and believed that he would reward them and believed he wanted them to make it across. That once they stepped in, the water stopped. And then the priest stand in the middle of the river with the ark as people filed by on dry ground. Don't miss that really important part there. This is ground that had been underwater for hundreds, thousands, how many years? and they walked across and it's totally dry. But for them to do it, they had to take their own step of faith. Because it would, some of them would have wanted to stand from afar and go, okay, good, good, there it is. Look at him, look at God, look at the amazing thing that God did here. But they only got to really understand and receive the blessing when they took the step of faith themselves into the water, into the river that's been dried and walking across to see God's faithfulness in it all, that they might know, that they might believe, 
We gotta follow where he leads and he leads us. Where is the place where you are missing out on God's blessing because you're not willing to take a step in faith? You're not willing to go that one step he is calling us to go. Do you trust him that he loves you and he is working for your good? So not only are we supposed to be a people who look for his presence, not only supposed to be a people who follow in his steps, there's supposed to be a people who understand and remember his works. As they're crossing through, Joshua has this plan. I want 12 guys, one from each tribe to grab a rock and take it with you. Don't ask why, just do it. And as he does, he has them bring it and he sets it up as a memorial. Not to them, not a look how great Israel is, but look how great God is. Look what God has done for us as a remembrance. Later in the Old Testament, you'll see it referred to as an Ebenezer. We sang it in the very first song, this rock of remembrance. That we would use these things to remember God's faithfulness in difficult and hard times. And that was the point for them, to remember that in difficult and hard times. I brought a few of my own Ebenezers over time. Number one is this bag. This bag I got on my very first mission trip. I went to Paris, France to teach American football to French guys. Hilarious and all that. It's, everything that you think, it's, it's even better than that. It's funnier than that. But on that trip was the first time someone said, Andrew, we have this big thing we have to do. I want you to give your testimony of faith. I'd never done that before. I was scared to death. I was terrible at public speaking. I hated standing in front of people. You couldn't pay me enough money, but it was an opportunity to share my faith. And I have this bag because I remember I did it. I don't know what I said at all, no clue. But I know that a couple of the football players afterwards came and talked to me about it. And he wanted to talk about Jesus and what he meant to me. That made all the difference in the world. This is my first Bible. I got it after I became a Christian at Frontier Ranch in Colorado. As soon as I became a Christian, the next day I was like, I need to buy a Bible. And I bought this nice, I thought very pretty brown Bible, Serendipity New Testament for Catholic readers. I did not know it was for Catholic readers at the time. <laughs> I was young. What do I, I didn't, you know. The one for Protestant readers was red and I liked brown better, so no big deal. That's what happens from time to time. This, this is in Hungarian. I said first hour, if someone could tell me what it means, I'd, give them, I'd pay them a dollar, but you know, I'm not gonna do that now because you may have talked in between services, so I'm not doing that. In 2013, um, I was about done with ministry. I was born, burned out, I was worn out, I was exhausted, I was tired. Um, and I thought I was done. I thought I was gonna go do something else with my life. Um, during that summer, God had called me on a missions trip to Budapest, Hungary, to go to a country where only 4% of the people are evangelical Christians. And to go, all you needed to do was to know English and to be from America. Check, check, winner for me. And while I was on that trip, God met me so faithfully day after day after day. And he refreshed my heart and he refreshed my soul. And the people from that, the, the team that we worked with gave this to me. And what it's translated now that I definitely don't have to pay you. It said, God brought you. God brought you here to us, Andrew. And we needed you here. That has been such a huge reminder of God's grace and his faithfulness. And when the times get hard, I pull those things out to remind myself how hard it can be that God is still gracious and faithful. A pastor that I really respected used to say, 
we have to believe in the dark what we knew to be true in the light. We have to believe in the dark what we knew to be true in the light. And that's what these Ebenezers do. That's what this stack of stones would do for the people of Israel. No matter how hard it went, they could remember God's power and his love for them. But it's also for the next generation. Wasn't just for this generation. What does Joshua say? When your children ask, not if your children ask, when they ask. He knew that's what would happen. When your children ask, they needed to be enveloped into this grand story. Kids, that is why you are here in worship on Sunday mornings, because we want you to be a part of the big story of who God is. We come to come alongside you as parents because as a church, one of our main goals is to pass on the faith to the next generation. As parents, that's your main job, to disciple your kids, to show them truth, to show them faith. And we wanna come alongside you and help you. It's why we're doing the sermon questions. It's for everybody, but it's especially for you as parents to have spiritual conversations at home. Because there's two questions. You notice that Joshua asked two different ways. The second time when he mentions this, he goes, what do the stones mean? The very, what does it mean? What happened? That's what you say to your kids. The first time, you know what he says? What do the stones mean to you? It's totally different when we say, well, this is why church is important. And this is why church is important to me. This is why Jesus is, is necessary, but this is why Jesus is necessary for me. That God has given all of us individual stories of his grace and his mercy and an individual faith that we're to share to the next generation. So parents, take advantage. Let your kids see you read the Bible. Let your kids hear you pray at something besides just a meal. Let them see you have spiritual friends because they want a faith to follow. We've gotta be a people who remember what God has done for us and be aware and willing to tell others. For they obey his commands. They get through, they're now through, they're to the other side. This is the time they've been hoping and waiting for. If you've ever had that moment in your life when you were so excited, maybe it was a birthday, maybe it was Christmas, maybe it was to drive, or maybe it was your first job or to graduate or to retire, grandkids, kids, marriage, whatever. This has been 400 years in the making, 40 years for them. And you'd expect, it's like, let's go. Let's go right now, straight into battle and fight. The hearts of the people have melted. This is our time to win. And what do they do instead? They stop and they circumcise all the men. Circumcision, kids. Um, it's when you cut off a part of a very sensitive part of a man's body, kids. That's what circumcision is. If you have more questions, your parents got this. And you're saying again, that's the first word. If Every guy probably read that that goes, circumcise them again? How do you do that? It, it, you gotta understand, it's not that they got re-circumcised. It was, there was a whole generation that never got circumcised. And circumcision was given by God to Abraham. This is how you are set apart as my people, as my marked people, by doing this outward physical act that shows that you were inwardly belong to me. So they circumcised an entire generation because the generation before them was completely unfaithful. Not only did they say to God, we're not going into the promised land, they also for 40 years said, we're not even gonna circumcise any of the kids. We know what you said to us, God, but we're not even gonna bother. And you know how God responds to that? 
He gave them food every day. He gave them water every day. And even the soles of their sandals did not wear out. God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love for his people, takes care of them. But how much did they miss out on the blessing of experiencing God because they weren't faithful? Because they didn't trust. They didn't believe that what he had was best. So they get here and they're saying, before we get a battle plan, before we do anything else, we're gonna obey God. And God calls us to circumcise our boys. Now think about this for a second. Strategically and as a military move, this is probably the worst possible decision you can make. You have now incapacitated your entire army for days. This is not something, this is not like an in, you know, in home or in office procedure. And later that day, you're, everybody's great. This is days to weeks of recovery time. The entire army of Israel. If you're the enemies of Israel, now's the time to attack. And yet, even though it made no sense, they obey. They obeyed the Lord when it made no sense at all. I obey the Lord when it's what I wanted to do anyway. I obey the Lord when it's easy and convenient. They obeyed the Lord when it made no sense and would cost them so much. Am I willing to cut off the sin in my life? Am I willing to cut off the things that keep me from him? They were, no matter what it cost. They were a people who were ready to obey. Even the hard parts of what God has to say, I just know so many of us don't wanna truly obey him. We want him to love us. We want him to save us. We want him to take care of us, but we don't really wanna do what he tells us to do. We don't really wanna witness to our neighbors. We don't really wanna care for the poor. We don't really wanna give up everything to worship him and be with him. We don't really wanna spend that much time with him. We don't really wanna know and memorize his word and hide it in our heart. That seems just a bit much, a bit fanatical for us but a collection of a people of faith, they obey his commands. Last thing they do is they worship his name. The two things that set apart Israel was circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant, this belonging, this personal thing, and Passover, which showed his power. The power of God to protect all of his people, to send them out of Egypt. As they celebrate this, they gather to worship. They gather to worship the Lord, the Lord, their God, before they go do anything else, because they could have gone and taken over the land and done it without acknowledging what God had done for them. This amazing thing had happened, their own Red Sea moment to remember God's faithfulness, and they could have just gone right on in about their day. They could have just moved right along. And they celebrate the Passover because it was a reminder that they couldn't save themselves. And as we think about Passover, we think about this table. We think about the blood that was spilled for you and for me that kept God's wrath at bay. We think about the fact that it's passed over us because we are in Christ, because his blood is between us and his holiness and us and God's law. That we may then be a people of great faith. Because if we really, 
understand what God's done for us, really grasp it, really get it to the deep recesses of who we are, it would be nothing for us to be a people like this. It'd be nothing for me to be a man like this, who's looking constantly for his presence, who's following his leading, who's remembering his works, who's obeying his commands, and who's worshiping his name. Because that's who we're supposed to be. Because if we do this, we're gonna look so different to the world around us. And people will want to know what is this that gives us our hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ.